because I'd heard loads of you know, reports from around our area of big cats around, but never ever seen one of these beasts myself. So it was like, oh, I've seen one of the big cats at last. Seeing is believing, and I have no proof of what I saw that day other than what I can describe. It was huge. It was like the weightlifter of cats. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Welcome to episode 60 of Big Cat Conversations, coming to you in late September 2021. We are back in Ireland for this edition, as our guest is best-selling author Nick Albert, and Nick is responsible for the book series Fresh Eggs and Dog Beds. We'll hear about those books in a moment. By way of introduction, Nick retired in 2004 from doing a proper job, and he and his wife Leslie and their dogs moved to Western Ireland for a lifestyle change. He is now a golf coach, photographer and an author. We're about to hear a bit about his life in County Clare and his family's encounters with big cats, of course. So, Nick, welcome along. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Rick, and thanks very much for having me on. It's an honour to be here. I've heard a few of your podcasts since we conversed earlier. You do a fantastic job, so I'm, I'm very interested to talk with you. That's splendid. I'm sure listeners are intrigued about your books and your encounters. And very interesting that you're another escapee from England on the West Coast side of Ireland, because in episode 48, we heard from Janet, originally from Cheshire, and her panther encounters were near the Wild Atlantic Way, just a bit further north from you. Oh, yes. It really does sound like the Celtic fringe when you hear somebody like uh, Janet. I guess it's pretty much the same with you. We're called blow-ins over this part of the world, which pretty much applies to anybody uh, from outside the county. It's a term of endearment, really. There are a few, a fair few English, uh, Germans. It's that kind of part of the countryside where um, you, know, you have to be a bit quirky to get by here, I think. You're an honorary member of the community by now, I hope. Uh, yes, 20, well, certainly heading towards uh, 18, 20 years. Got our feet under the bed now, as it were. Okay. Well, before we get on to the big cat experiences, we ought to know about your setup there and about your books. So do tell us about what you do and about the books and about how to get the books beyond, I guess, Amazon. Yeah. So tell us about the books and your life in County Clare. Yeah. Well, as you said, we moved to County Clare and we moved here in a kind of fit of madness in 2004. Frankly, we'd just had enough of Britain and where I'd been working, my job, not me particularly, but my job had been made redundant eight times in six years. We just got to the point where we went, just can't carry on like this. And we were chasing our tails to, you know, have nice cars and all that kind of stuff. And we realised not all that glittered was gold, as it were. So I had this mad idea to move west. It's a long story and cut that short, really. Here we are, west coast of Ireland. We bought an old goat farm, which is set high in the hills to the east of County Clare, County Clare being on the, the very west side of, of Ireland. So we live in a very remote area up there. We didn't necessarily want to become self-sufficient, but we've got a few acres up here. I wanted to do a lot more writing, get involved in that side. So uh, I started writing for a local paper for about 10 years. And then I got sort of three books published in that time. And then about 2017, I was signed by Ant Press, a publisher, 
to write a five book series about our life in Ireland called Fresh Eggs and Dog Beds, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. We subtitled that The Humorous Tale of an English Couple and Their Unruly Dogs Searching for a Better Life in Rural Ireland just to give a hint of it. Largely, the series for most people would be available in Amazon, in print, Kindle, and the series is now also available as an audio book. In that process, we've just republished my first thriller. I say first thriller because there's more to come, we hope. So at the beginning of um, 2021, we just republished that, and that has just come out as an audio book. That's called Hunting the Wrecking Crew. So you can find my books, Probably the easiest place to go is either to my website, which is www.nickalbertauthor.com or um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and indeed Amazon. Search for Nick Albert or Fresh Eggs and Dog Beds, and there they are. Great. And just to give a flavour of Fresh Eggs and Dog Beds, they are really just about your life, the good life, you know, tending your land and your sort of day-to-day activities, whatever happens. And you just make them engaging. You don't try to over-romanticise. Apparently, my conversational style of writing, you know, I'm not very good at conversations face-to-face, but my conversational style of writing seems to put people in and they really enjoy them and find them to be an easy read. And my main task is to try and make people smile. I've always said if I can get one more smile in the day for somebody, that's good for me. There's some kind of pleasant, natural vibe about them as you read, I think. Very natural and it works, I think. So um, let's um, get on to Big Cats now. So thank you for that background. And before we go to your first encounter, the first time you realise there might be a big cat around, can you just describe the local landscape and summarise why it might be good for a predator like a big cat? Well, I think the first thing to really get across is just how remote we are where we live. If you stand on uh, on the top of my hill, which is uh, above the house, uh, we've got a few acres and, and um, the house sits in a bit of a valley, but just above it, the land rises and I've got my own quarry up there. And just on the edge of that, you can pretty much look in all directions. We are at that point, the highest spot of land for 6,500 kilometres. You, if you're looking west, you'd be going all the way to America. The area is largely commercial pine forest to the north, the east, um, and to the west is blanket bog, which is, you know, think of that as moorland. The untended fields tend to be thick bush and native trees. So from my house, I could walk pretty much 25 miles in any direction and not see another person. And I can say in all honesty, in the years that I've been walking around, and I do love to go off piste, as it were, when I go walking, um, sometimes to my own detriment, but much of the surrounding countryside, I would be the only person who's been on there for 18 years. Gosh, that's sounding quite a lot like Janet's, our previous guest from Western Ireland. She was making very similar points, including the fact that it's quite a harsh, rugged landscape as well, which actually, to me, makes me think, well... Is there deer? Is there prey? You know, because actually, I don't think these cats like necessarily harsh, hostile environments unless there's plenty of prey available. It's a good point you make. I have a trail camera which I've used a fair bit, and that's always surprised me just how little wildlife we see. Having said that, I know there is quite a lot around because I, you know, I'm quite an observer of tracks. So I do know, you know, we have regularly seen deer, you know, there's fallow deer and um, a sicker deer. There's, we had a lot of feral goats at one time, herds of 20 or 30 that used to be on the moor opposite. And they would occasionally visit the land here, largely because they, I believe, were actually the goats that were being farmed here before, you know, some years before we bought the house. 
and the previous owner just let them go. You get a lot of hair here, which we see on a regular basis, and they are big. I mean, they're the size of a small dog, not little bunny rabbits. These are big Irish hairs. Yeah. Uh, foxes, pine martins, there's a lot of rodents, there's a lot of birds like pheasants, ducks, grouse, heron. We now have a thriving population of red squirrels. That's just another beautiful thing that we have here. But that's pretty much what you see. And there's, there's waterfalls, lakes, so there's plenty of water, there's plenty of cover. And we know from when we kept chickens that they become a, a target for predators straight away because there's a lot less food around than perhaps what they might like. So, you know, if you've got a big pen full of chickens and they're almost overnight, you're being circled by predators. There is a menu there for a predator in that case, I think. Mm. Okay, so that takes us on to your awareness of anything like a big cat. Had you heard of any gossip? Had you seen any newspaper articles? Or was it an absolute bolt from the blue the first time you sussed a big cat around? Yeah, I mean, I had no perception whatsoever. Uh, Hadn't crossed my mind at all. Zero. (laughs) Absolute zero. Say a big cat's in Ireland or big cat's in England, Wales and Scotland had been proposed to you as a real thing at that time. Would you have had a view? I mean, I would have been aware of seeing certainly from the UK a few of these things. I wouldn't have dismissed it out of hand, but I would have gone, oh, yeah, okay, fair enough. And I guess there's enough people who've, you know, in the good times have had big cats in their gardens in cages and who may have just let them go or stuff. So there, there is some logic in perhaps that happening. But otherwise, no, I wouldn't have been particularly engaged in it. It wouldn't have been something I would have followed or taken a great interest in. But again, it found you, like a lot of our guests. One day something happened and the subject found you and you uh, had to get um, involved in it. So can you take us through the first time you had uh, an experience involving a big cat? I've actually written out a timeline because I had to kind of go through my notes. What I wrote in the book wasn't in detail. So I kind of just touched on it. So if I can just rattle through as I recall it as best as I can. Yeah. We go back as far as spring 2007 when I spotted some footprints. Um, Now, just to explain, behind our house, there's a a farm track which goes out across some farmland. That goes nowhere, and and generally nobody goes down there. Probably about two months a year, one of the farmers from about four or five miles away would bring his cows up and put them in there for, for a month or two, and then they would be gone and we wouldn't see anyone again for the rest of the year. When it rains, some of these paths, they have a real kind of silty, Very, very fine silt, almost like brown flour, really good for taking impressions. And likewise, there's a forest above that, which goes up three or 400 feet above the house. And um, there's there's paths up there. And, And I think a lot of predators, like humans, like to take the easy route. So these paths become quite a good track for spotting deer trails and such like. So I noticed some footprints up there on the fine silt. I did, in fact, take a couple of pictures of them really just to show my wife and say, oh, look at what I saw. But I tend to be a bit sceptical because you know, any footprints like that in that kind of silt over a short period of time, they tend to settle and get bigger as they spread out. So it's quite easy for something that you might see that's maybe four or five days old to go, wow, look at the size of that. It's a dinosaur. When in fact, it was something much smaller. But in this case, they were very fresh, sharp edges, very fresh. The shape was certainly not dog because they tend to be squarer and they have these kind of quite distinctive line of almost four toes and a pad. And I looked at that and thought, okay, that's quite interesting. Incidentally, Nick, would there be dog walkers or wandering dogs? I mean, is it possible that there could have been a feral or wandering dog? 
Apart from my five dogs at the time, not really, no. There certainly wouldn't be walkers up that way. It's not an area that's, that people would know about or be able to access. And over the years, I've cut forest paths through the forest, mostly connecting up the deer trails. And I'm the only person I know because I've seen my own footprints and I'll go back a week later and it will still be my footprints up there, you know, that nobody else goes there. The largest dog we had was a, um, a rough collie, you know, one of the lassie dogs. These were much bigger. These prints were easily the width of my fist. A little while later in the summer, I was up in the high forest and I was looking at some tracks of deers as I was walking along. And then kind of quite suddenly those tracks changed and you could see from the impression that the deer had broken into a run. And then there was this curving track coming in from the high right side down the embankment and around where you could certainly see something pretty large and again cat-like from the impressions had attacked and actually caught one of the deers and dragged it away and gone back up into this old part of the forest. We imagine the trees up there are 100, 150 foot tall, so quite old and it's quite murky up in that bit. <laughs> um, so that was interesting, looked at that and kind of went back home and said, oh yeah, told my wife up in the forest, I saw this, saw that, didn't think any more of it. And the next lot of footprints I saw was again in the winter of 2008. Nothing much else to say on that, just again, same story, you know. By then, were you starting to think, hang on, something's going on here? Were you getting suspicious? How can I say my, my mind was prepared that if I had seen something, it wasn't going to be, oh my God, and I'm shocked, you know, it was okay, fair enough, you know, but it wasn't something I was going to advertise because I certainly didn't, you know, be very conscious that if I had told anybody, it would be likely very quickly that our AR privacy would be invaded. Secondly, you know, we'd have hunters up here in, in next to no time because I'm sure somebody would want to turn up and try and shoot something, trophy hunters or whatever. So I just thought, well, look, I'll just leave it be and put a note down in for, for future use in, in one of my books if I ever felt the need to do so. So there wasn't a question of you feeling that you might get ridiculed and, and you'd lose a bit of status for mentioning it? Well, yeah, I suppose, yes. Now you mention that. <laughs> Here's my opportunity to be ridiculed in public. <laughs> How many people do listen to this, Rick? No, people will love your books even if they don't believe you about big cats, Nick, so don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the next thing that really came up was, and this was the first what I would call sighting, and I'll just explain very quickly. I was up the forest with two of my dogs, with a foxhound called Lady and Kia, who's a black collie. And Kia's sort of, she was, she was quite a large dog, but she was very quiet. And we got up to the sort of highest part in the forest. So behind me, if you like, the trees were going up high, you know, 100 foot, something like that. And I was looking down the slope to my left where these trees go down quite a steep slope, which was about 40 foot below me and, and quite dark, kind of sort of emerald green and, and shady. And I saw a lady kind of going through there because she'd gone off down sniffing something. Just ahead of her was Kia, which was unusual because Kia, the collie, would always follow the foxhound. It was never the other way around. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, that's kind of odd because I could just see them going through the trees. And there was about 20 yards between them, which seemed odd. And then at that moment, I felt a bit of pressure against my leg. I looked down and Kia was actually sat right next to me. So what I was watching down in the forest was not uh, my dog but something quite large and black moving, you know, uh, from right to left, uh, 40 foot below me. 
with my dog lady going behind and she was not chasing like she normally would if she was on the trail of a something like a rabbit or a deer or something she was moving along quite stealthily and I whistled and she came straight back to me and that was the end of it didn't see anything other than that and I just went wow what was that if it was a dog I'm absolutely confident that you know lady would have been responding as she would if she saw another dog I mean it would all be hello how are you and so on and so forth and the usual sort of doggy bum sniffing stuff and all that this was something she did not know how to deal with if it was a cat as a, you know in terms of a small cat she would have chased it with some vigor if it was anything else she would have she would have had a good old chase and and if you've ever heard a foxhound go off they make such a racket she was dead quiet and kind of walking along as if to say what on earth is that uh, but when I called her she came straight back so I, I fancied there was some considerable doubt in her mind as to what she should do so enough to really deepen your suspicions then yeah indeed yeah and then there were more prints again i think march i've got notes of the photographs from march 2010 and then in, in the summer of 2010 i was driving a couple of times driving back from the local town uh, you know again very very quiet roads up here you, you know i mean our house we probably get 12 cars pass in a day 13 on a busy day you know, so you wouldn't be a lot of traffic going back and forwards up there. And it was it was late evening in the summer. And just as I kind of came around the corner, there was a glimpse of a large black animal moving off the road into the bushes. You know, and you're talking a glimpse, literally. It wouldn't be unusual to see something like a hen harrier fly across the road. They're quite distinctive. The wings and the black, you know, and the white back and things like that. And you go, oh, you know, I saw a hen harrier or saw something else. This was on the ground moving. And it went straight, you know, half a second of view and it was maybe a second and it had gone up through the bushes. A couple of times I saw that and, and both times kind of like, oh, what on earth was, you know, did I see what I thought I saw? Wasn't entirely sure. Yeah. Wasn't going to commit to it. And then late summer 2010, that was the, the one I was walking the dogs, heading up to the forest path, actually, because there's a single track road that runs at the top of my property. And that goes quite steeply up the hill. And as is the way, there's several undulations that, that it goes up and down by maybe 15 feet, the road. And then just as we got to the entrance of the forest pass on the left, directly ahead of me on this single track road was this big cat. And it was actually sunbathing. It was laid on the road, eight o'clock in the morning, enjoying the morning sun shining on it. And I stopped. The dogs, which my Dogs are pretty hopeless at this stuff. They just sat there, completely unaware of what was going on. And uh, I stood there for maybe two minutes, and the distance would be pretty much exactly 50 metres because I did go back and kind of measure it later on and took the opportunity to get one of my dogs to kind of stand there, as it were, so I could get some scale. This thing was almost touching both sides of this single track road as it laid there. I stood there calmly watching it. It stood there calmly watching me. Dogs hadn't spotted it. They weren't pulling at the leads. They just wanted to get on and get on with the walk. Then it just kind of got up and then just went up the embankment. Now, the embankment to the left where it went up would be 60 degrees and maybe 12 feet tall. You know, I mean, you're talking serious embankment. And it went up this in two bounds. It just went boom, boom and gone. You know, and not in a panic bound, but it was just kind of right. I'm just going up here. And that was it. Gone into the trees and gone. On its own terms. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how interesting that you saw one, you know, sunning in the morning, that they do that. Oh, do they? Did not know that. 
Yes, that, that is a time and it is a situation when you have got a chance of seeing them because they're still and calm and relaxed. You know, sunny spots early in the morning is what you know mammals want, isn't it, to warm up uh, first thing? Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Cats would do the same. Mm. Would you have said it seemed properly wild and fit and healthy and all that? Totally healthy. Did not see anything, you know, that, that made me think, oh, that animal is not well. Quite the opposite. It looked extremely vigorously you know, and calm, healthy, beautifully shaped. It wasn't sort of hanging skin of a sick animal or anything like that that you might have seen on the telly or anything, you know, just got up and off it went. Yeah, and totally black, uniformly black. Absolutely, yeah, except for quite distinctive, even at that range, you know, yellow eyes, which I saw. A couple of weeks later, we had this incident up at the house where I'd been out when I got back. My wife, who'd been a little bit sceptical when I described the actual sighting, because she says, oh, did you get a photograph? And I went, no, because my phone was on charge in the kitchen. And to be honest, you know, if I'd have fumbled about with the thing by the time I got it sorted at that range, you wouldn't really have got a picture. But anyway, she told me that when I got back, uh, we had a chicken run in a part of our land that sits a bit further away from the house. And um, she was out there doing some gardening and the dogs had shot up into the forest. And by her description, all hell broke loose. They were... It's as if they cornered something. She couldn't see them, but they were about 50 foot above, up in the high bit. Of, wouldn't be terribly far from the house, you know, 50 foot up the hill, 50 foot away. And she said all hell broke loose and there was an awful lot of woofing and stuff. And then suddenly there was this, as she described it, exactly like we heard at the zoo, like a leopard. It was just a wow kind of sound. And about four seconds later, the, the dogs just came charging back down and hid behind her. She, she said she just kind of backed down into the house and shut the door and said, OK, we'll sit in here and have a cup of coffee now. Huh. You know, yeah, I mean, she would be a sceptic in a lot of ways. And she said, well, you know, that was whatever it was. It frightened the pants off the dogs. So it did change her mind. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it was only about a week later that the chicken run got ripped apart. And I built this chicken run and I have a tendency to over engineer things when I build things. And whatever it was, it ripped the door off its hinges completely. And, and I would have struggled to do that myself. It took a couple of three chickens, but also whatever it was, also took both of our Aylesbury ducks. And these were fully mature Aylesbury ducks. They are the size of a swan. You know, and they'll put up a hell of a fight and they've gone completely. And literally almost, a, I think it's probably about a month after that, the quilter, which is the Irish Forestry Service, came up and they cleared some of the high forest. And that was kind of the end of the year. And, and that's quite a big job for them because they got they have a lot of machines and stuff. And it was, it's commercial forest. So, you know, they, they took a lot of the older trees away and, and put in some new paths and stacked up maybe, I don't know, seven or 800 trees. And then we rolled into the winter of 2010, 2011, which was an absolute cracker. For days, we had minus 20 up at the house because it's a bit of altitude and it was freezing cold. Uh, we, even during the day, we never got uh, above zero. And we know because all the feral goats on the moor had died. And that's it. Never saw the big cat ever since or any trail, no, no footprints, nothing. End of the story, if you like. That doesn't mean to say it hasn't been around, but you just haven't detected it. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. And you said it was, you know, felt wild and healthy and vigorous and everything. Anything else sort of struck you about its form and characteristics? It was certainly completely black. I mean, uh, there was nothing. I didn't see a single bit of any other colour. 
no kind of white paws or socks or whatever you want to call it or anything like that. It had what I'd say proportionately a small head and little ears, but it had a long tail, almost as long as its body. And that tail was held very low to the ground and then the end kind of curled up uh, like a kind of lay down question mark almost. And when it walked, how can I say, do you understand what I mean? When it slouched its shoulders as if the shoulder blades were kind of sticking up. Yeah. And it had that look of when you see a, a large cat like that at the zoo they kind of almost look heavy but they look muscular as well yeah so it's as if they're not holding their their shoulders in tension the shoulders are kind of quite relaxed and the the shoulder blades are pushing up it was a good you know 30 36 inches tall maybe maybe slightly more and certainly four foot long and the tail was a good three foot long uh, and way, way larger than dog. I mean, there was absolutely no doubt in my mind it was, you know, it was feline and it was way bigger than any cat because it was way bigger than my dogs. You know, I'd, if, if I had to guess, I'd say 130, 140 pounds, you know, it was, you were going to struggle to pick it up easily. Yeah, no, that's relatively big, yeah. For me, the, the other thing was its attitude. The people talk about Mike Tyson back in the day when he walked into the, um, the arena, you know, there was that attitude about him. The boxer. Not necessarily the violence about it, but the fact that an immense confidence. But this thing looked at me and it didn't kind of go, oh, there's somebody there. You know, it's very calm, very dismissive of me. You know, um, it reminded me of having come across, as we've done a few times, you know, a bull. And they just look at you as if to say, well, this is my territory and and I can turn your car over if I want to. So, you know, I'm just going to stand here and eat grass. How long was the sighting for, do you think? Two minutes, you know, I literally stopped dead, um, stopped dead, stood there and just watched very quietly. Didn't want to kind of, you know, I, I, I didn't feel at all threatened or anything. I mean, I did have, you know, my dogs with me and and um, <laughs> probably completely wrong. They'd have been off. But, you know, I was kind of like, oh, well, I'm well protected, you know. Did you get them on the lead? Were they on the lead? They were on the lead at the time, yeah, because even though it's very quiet up there, I always made sure I kept them on the lead until we got into the forest that's only maybe 400 yards from my back door, as it were. I still like to get them on the lead, walk them up there and then take them off the lead. So they go, OK, now I'm having a, a run around. And then I put them back on the lead before we come home, you know. That was how close it was to your house. It was just round the corner from your house, really. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, um, yeah, all of this occurred. Even the sightings on the road would be within half a mile of the house. These were all pretty close. Okay. So in terms of your emotions, how did that touch you? How did that influence you, yourself and and your wife, but certainly yourself? How did it affect you? First thing was just confirmation. I wasn't overly kind of disturbed or shocked. My first thought was, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah." So that's what I did see then. That's what those footprints were. That was kind of where I was. And then the second thing that really came into my head very quickly was you better keep your mouth shut. You know, you mentioned earlier about, you know, would, would I feel as if people were going to be pointing and laughing? And uh, that never occurred to me. We're very private up here. We, you know, uh, even in my writing, I'm, I work very hard to, to not advertise where we are. And, you know, and the thing I was thinking of is kind of immediately Jaws came into mind and thought, oh, they'll be coming in on the ferries and the hunters will be here and they'll be, they'll be logging, their, logging their dynamite into the water and claiming they've killed the, big, the great white and stuff. So I just thought, no, he or she has got every right to be here. We're the visitors, if you like. 
I think I only mentioned it to my wife and, and a buddy of mine I play golf with, you know, and um, that was it really. And other than that, I just wrote down, kept the notes that I thought, well, I may use that in, you know, as, as one of the, one of the things in one of my books. It actually didn't happen until I think two books later. And by that time, it was just a passing comment really, uh, yeah. because we hadn't seen the cats for quite a while. And in fact, I'd completely forgotten about it because I'm now on to book five and that was, I think, book three. Yeah. And, and I'd forgotten about it until you emailed me. And then I okay. thought, oh, did I write yeah. about that? I'd really forgotten I'd put it in. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Did any readers get in touch with you when they read it and, and said, I've seen one in Ireland too, or I want to know more? Or did you not get any feedback on it? No, nobody mentioned it at all. I don't know, perhaps the international market, a lot of my readers in America, they wouldn't be hugely surprised if i'd said it was a bit a bear or something else you know yeah uh because they they perhaps would be living in in somewhere where they see things like that on a regular basis not such a big deal yeah it's interesting that you did decide best thing was to play dumb about it because many people do and i think almost the more remote and private people are that, that that's you know their natural inclination and it's why somebody like me w- w- wants to investigate the subject has to work on trust you know it is very tricky to uh, quite rightly you know i expect people to suss me out if i want to um get in touch with people or, or they get in touch with me and i want to take the discussion further you know having uh, having reckoned that they're correct in what they've said about seeing a big cat and i feel it's credible if I want to sort of keep in touch and put trail cameras up or or track for evidence or get one of my more local contacts to track for evidence and put trail cameras up, it's about keeping that trust because uh, these people don't want their privacy uh, given or their business. You know, they might have a bit of land and a business which they feel might be blighted by a link with big cats or whatever. So it is very tricky yeah. and personal. So, yeah, relationships are all very important. Um, yeah. What, well, what about... Yeah, and, and, yeah sorry. Go on. Yeah. I was going to say thank you for how, you know, I mean, we've, we've obviously chatted a bit online on this. So that's one of the reasons I'm speaking to you is is because, you know, I felt some confidence in, in being able to say, well, look, you know, this is this is all there is to it. You know, yeah. it's not something necessarily sensational or sensationalised. Yeah. And I'd actually forgotten I'd written about it. I honestly had. Yeah. OK. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Of course, you you know, you may have an, another encounter. It may, may crop up again. You just never know. For some people, it is a, a one off. For some people, it's fairly regular and consistent. Other people, it's occasional. You know, just don't know what the trend is going to be. But mm. but one of the ways of reading the trend that people have is, is even if they don't see it, they sense it if they keep uh, horses or dogs in particular. Those tend to be the alert signals. And you've got dogs, certainly. So were you sensing it, do you think, from obviously there's that one more blatant incident that your wife noticed because it was right by her but any other cases when you thought oh the dogs have sent something it might be that cat if you pardon the pun actually <laughs> there is that thing about the dog that didn't bark yeah there's a book about it but the, for me the the thing would be when i'm up in the forest walking very often the dogs might be running around and such like the birds particularly you know magpies and crows particularly the magpies, they tend to kind of almost let me know where the dogs are because they have quite a noisy way of warning each other when there's something coming their way. Those occasions when I've been up in the forest where suddenly there is complete silence and you just go, whoa, hang on a minute, something something different is happening. You have to be up here to appreciate how quiet it is, especially at the moment when 
you know, there's a lot less air traffic than there once was, albeit that it's passing over seven miles high. But we now have very little air traffic. And so the silence here is deafening, um, if you like. Um, you, you start to appreciate how noisy birds are and how much chattering there is going on and everything else. And when that suddenly stops, just like that, then the, the hair on the back of your neck goes up a little bit. And you go, OK, there's something out there. Uh, and if it's a fox, the birds actually make a lot of noise because they're really warning each other. So when there's something unusual, something happens like that, then, you know, it does make you kind of go, oh, OK. They can do very raucous calls for an alarm, uh, predator alarm, if it's a big cat as well. But they, they can go quiet as well. Begs a question, doesn't it, if everything goes silent? Yes, yes. And stay silent, yeah. It's not like there's been several times when your dogs seem to be nervous about going out for a wee at night or something before bedtime. No, I would be saying with some confidence since 2011, I haven't really come across anything that I could point a finger at. And the things I would notice perhaps is there are more deer now, there are more hare, the Irish hare. Yeah. Um, we see a lot more of those. Again, 2011 was a tough winter. 2018, the beast from the east that we had up here, we got absolutely hammered. You know, and again, we found deer carcasses. And if there was a predator up here, they would have been devoured um, quite quickly. They weren't scavenged? No, no, not, not immediately anyway. Not, not in the way that you would expect from perhaps, a, you know, a big cat. You know, they were scavenged, but they were, they were scavenged by, you know, by small. Yeah, they were picked at. I mean, yeah, that's right, yes. And what about other reports in the papers or in pubs and on the grapevine? You haven't, have you had much gossip about big cat sightings? I've seen the odd little bit. I think there was a report from Cork. There was one from Galway. And frankly, I don't want to sound dismissive, but frankly, it wouldn't have taken a lot of interest. It's not something I would have sought out. So it might, there may have been uh, press reports, but you weren't, they weren't on your radar anyway. Okay, and in terms of you and family's attitude to coexisting with a cat that might be there occasionally or more than one, you hinted earlier that you felt, you know, it's got a right to be there, but it can have a right to be there and you can still be nervous and <laughs> wish it wasn't or something. But what are your emotions and attitudes about it all? I've lived in Africa, you know, for a while and other places where, where there are things that will bite and sting you and such like. Certainly you would be taking precautions in that case. In, in this situation, I did not feel at all threatened. We lost some chickens. That could have been a dog. I doubt it was a fox or I would actually doubt if it was a dog because of the, the way the door was ripped off the chicken run. But the way I looked at that was it was it was the kind of price of having poultry up here, you know, in an area where they almost became the focus for food, which is why we no longer keep chickens. They're going to be a target sometimes. Yeah, that's it. They leave us alone, we leave them alone, you know, if that was the case. If it became an issue, then we'd perhaps have to look at it differently. But, um, you know, we, we would be more worried about at uh, the time of losing one of our little dogs to, you know, the smaller terrier we'd got to a fox or to sea eagles because they had sea eagles around here. They would certainly take a small dog. But, you know, bless her, she passed away earlier on this year. So we've, we've really just got the larger dogs now. You know, live and let live kind of thing, you know. Now, this extra question I'm throwing in that I hadn't prepared you for. Uh Aha. It's the the point about 
Is this subject of big cats, particularly black panthers, in the Irish landscape, does it give a sense of enchantment or a sense of inspiration to a writer? Obviously, you've got plenty to write about, so maybe you don't need something to prompt you. But would you not think that the art sector and, and writers might sort of sometimes think, hang on, this is, you know, we've got new folklore emerging here. There's something intriguing and potentially enchanting and romantic or touches different kinds of emotions we should use this in our material are you surprised that isn't happening the idea of a black cat is kind of an enigma is it there isn't it there um you know did it happen is it something that people perhaps could start to bring into folklore that you know there is an irish cat and and it's it would want to be quite unique um i think to really get people hooked in on it i mean it wouldn't inspire me necessarily to to write about it as a memoir writer perhaps um, writing about but I could see how it could certainly work into folklore and um, people might start to see you know particularly when you look here in you know the more rural parts the wilder parts of Ireland if if you've ever seen pictures of the Burren and places like that which almost look like a lunar landscape I mean there's they're stunningly stark and yet beautiful yeah very distinct yeah, we prefer the you know the east part of Clare, which is more hilly, and you know there's a lot more trees here and and such like, and perhaps more wildlife as well. But it's a slightly softer feel to it. I was surprised that you didn't dwell on the subject more as a writer. Um, you treated it as a, a snippet in your memoirs and observations in the book, just like everything else is. It didn't get um, any emphasis. It just got, you know, it was registered as something interesting that happened in your life you know, a few times and got the due attention. I thought, isn't he going to dwell on it? It's damned fascinating. You know, it's a bit different, but I guess that's me. I'm biased. You know, I find it truly fascinating and want to dwell on it, but you didn't feel the need to. I thought it was fascinating, but I didn't feel the need, if you like, to, from a, from a professional writer's point of view, uh, I didn't feel the need to self-publicise um, that or to try and ride the tail of that particular big cat into some kind of fame and fortune. You gave it its due attention, but nothing more. I've got to say, it's in my mind didn't go that way. It honestly never occurred to me to share that, what I would describe as that private moment in any way that was anything other than an observation on something that happened, as opposed to, you know, an opportunity to market or to publicise, you know, what I did, you know, in terms of writing. Yes, or to go deeper into the emotional experience. Yes, indeed, indeed. You know, I mean... I've likewise I've written about some painful and difficult times that have happened you know with losing dogs and family members dying and things like that and again they you know they're emotional and and I I hope I touch people in terms of how I wrote those pieces but at the same time you know I haven't then gone on to say look you know I'm going to use that as a vehicle to publicize and market the books if I did anything at all it would be hey you know if you buy these books you're going to end up with a big smile on your face hopefully yeah and, and range over lots of lots of things that happens in real life that's scary funny and everything yeah i mean if the story had been me being chased around the garden by by a cat or you know um something similar um i tend to be very self-deprecating in what i write oh. and um you know then then i probably would have made something of it but not because it was a cat but because it was me being made to look like a fool you know yeah which is always good fodder for the readers yeah 
I, I haven't had the thing yet where I get swarmed by wasps and have to throw myself in the muddy pond or something, but that would be, I would use that for, you know, marketing and, and perhaps have a cartoon drawn of it, but not the cat. It did not occur to me. You know, that's a private thing that, you know, it's up to him if he wants to be famous, let him come out and be famous or her. <laughs> you still look out for tracks. I mean, that might, that's must be a you know, good part of your walking and, and living there to, to notice the animal tracks. You're very lucky. You've got good terrain for registering tracks as well. Yes. Um, and as I mentioned, I've got a, I've got a trail camera now, which I've put up on, you know, numerous occasions. Perhaps I'm inspired now to go, you know, it's right there next to me. I'm <laughs> looking at it on the shelf thinking that hasn't been out of the box for a little while. Yeah, get it out. The last time I used it was for a uh, what's called a stripping post, if you know what that is. We'd got some uh, sparrowhawks. They find a, an old kind of log, or uh, in this case it's a tree stump, uh, where I'd spotted some, some, some feathers. And what they do is they land on the tree stump, and it's usually about 100 yards from their uh, nest so that they don't leave feathers around the nest. So they bring their prey and they strip all the feathers off on the stripping post and then take that up to the nest where the babies are. So I'd, I'd set a camera up there to, to record recently and um, caught some lovely pictures of the, you know, of them there. I haven't seen anything, you know, so I did keep my eyes open, but I hadn't seen anything that shows big cat. Have another bash. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, and do you get pine martins on them? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I actually just caught some uh, pictures the other day that turned up on one of our uh, feeding posts where we feed the, the red squirrels and stuff. We've got some large pine martins. They are the reason we have red squirrels uh, because pine martins actually can kill the grey squirrels, but they can't get to the red squirrels. They're, they're too small and too fast. Yeah. Nature's own control mechanism. There you go, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're absolutely blessed now that we saw the first red squirrel probably about five or six years ago, and we've now got probably a dozen around around the house, and they're, they're frequent visitors. Um, they're very shy, so yeah. you know, as with all the wildlife here, they really keep their distance. But I've caught some cracking photos of them, which is really nice. It's a joy. Ireland is a stunningly beautiful country. I'm so pleased that we live here. There is a lot more to Ireland than pubs and clubs and getting drunk and dancing in the street. You know, there's an awful lot of Ireland. The the, the Wild Atlantic Way now, which runs all the way up the west coast. County Clare with the Cliffs of Moor, the Burren, which we mentioned, you know, come inland to places like Loch Derg, you know, which is a massive inland waterway. Um, you know, people stand there and look in absolute disbelief that you're looking at this wonderful, beautiful piece of scenery and there isn't a boat on it. You know, you can rent a boat and go on it and you won't find people roaring up and down in speedboats and everything else. It is a real unspoiled country with fantastic scenery, lovely people. Do visit. Yeah, thanks for that. I mean, that's very much echoing what Janet said in the previous episode from um, West Coast of Ireland. Nick, thank you ever so much for your time. And very interesting to have your uh, more neutral, calmer take on the subject, because many times we get a guest who is really overtaken by events and really pumped up with excitement. And actually, it's very important that we hear, you know, a range of views from our guests. And you dealt with it calmly and efficiently as a writer, as part of your memoirs and moved on, as it were. But it's nice that we've allowed you to dwell on it and explain it and think it through. So I'm sure listeners very much appreciate that. And I would recommend, as we said earlier, that people have a look at the books. Well, the series of five, you might go longer if um, the fancy takes you. Is that right? The view would be that, um, you know, the five book series was what we'd plotted out. 
Now, having said that, obviously, time itself is moving on. So I'm already potentially starting to see content for book six. But at the same time, I wrote this thriller, Hunting the Wrecking Crew, which has really hooked a lot of people in terms of the the, the principal character. And I'd already scoped out the next book in the series as a prequel and a second in the series which is planned to be called Stone Facade because the principal character is a guy called Eric Stone and Stone Facade is actually going to be set in Ireland so you know a lot of that work is already done a lot of the research is already done the only thing that's missing is the time to sit down and write it yeah so you've got a bit of congestion and, and well anyway that's a good problem to have yeah, indeed yeah Great. Well, if you get anything on your trail camera or see anything else, we'd love to know, Nick. You'll be the first to know, Rick. Yeah. Well, thank you ever so much for coming on Big Cat Conversations. We've really enjoyed it, Nick. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to be here. Now, a big thanks to Annie in Ireland for acting as broker for some of our coverage and contacts in Ireland. We heard from Annie in episode 39. She helped to line up our next guest, Dave, and she also suggested our word of the week. And I'm going to struggle to pronounce it, but I have practised a bit. And here it goes. A chaot. And the spelling is A-C-L-A-I-O-C-H-T. First and foremost, it means agility but other uses of the word include keeping fit and also suppleness, exercise and even adroitness. So perhaps it also means agile, fit and well-tuned. These descriptions, in the main, do relate to the form and condition and movement of most of the large cats that get reported across Britain and including coming up from our next guest. In fact, there is a useful saying sometimes mentioned on this podcast which highlights the form and agility of the leopard in particular, and that is, the jaguar is the wrestler, the leopard is the gymnast. And I think that does resonate with the majority of the Black Panther descriptions we get. People are experiencing an athletic, sleek, agile cat. Sometimes they also sense the flexible spine in the leaping and twisting motions. So agility is coming through strongly in these witness reports. So word of the week is Irish Gaelic word for agility, a chaot. Now we move on to our next guest who is Dave from near Kilkenny in central south of the Republic of Ireland. His sighting was on the same date, 1st of August 2021, as the one we heard about from La in episode 57. But Dave's sighting was over 100 kilometres away. So what a coincidence and what useful information to obtain from independent witness reports. Indeed, we've just had a similar situation here in Gloucestershire, where I'm based, with two Black Panther reports on the 17th of September, also at the same time of day, early evening 7.15ish, but located in different sides of the county. I'll say more about that one in the next episode. So here we go with Dave from County Kilkenny. What I saw, was it always oh, the first or second now? It was, I've never seen anything like it in this country before. You know, I've been here since we, we were living in England, born in England, came over here in 1976, and you see all kinds of wild animals here. But as for this lad, which we've seen, 
absolutely gobsmacked now. <laughs> you know, I meant to go back to the place to see if we can see some paw prints and all this, but I haven't had the time basically to get back. He's probably gone on now. My geography of Ireland, this is central south, really. County Kilkenny, central south, and, and the nearest town, Johnstown, is that right? That's right, yeah. Johnstown will be about 15 miles from where we are. We're about five miles south of Kilkenny. Particularly what I was doing on this morning, a fellow brings us eggs, you see. We get uh, eggs delivered here. The duck eggs, a fellow in Johnstown, he loves them. We don't usually eat them, you see, but <laughs> we eat the hen eggs. So what I usually do is, once a week, I go for a drive, my old vintage car, to Johnstown, and I go through the crossroads. And where my friend lives, Martin is his name, he lives in a real boggy area. It's where Bamona was. It's where they used to make peat brickets and stuff. But this area now is really in the back of the beyonds, you know. I was driving along, my old Mercedes, my old vintage car. It's always nice to bring it there because you never know what you're going to see in wildlife or whatever. But when I seen this fella, I went around the last bend. There's like, there's like a sharp right-hand bend, and then there's a straight, and there's another sharp bend. And my friend lives about a mile from this location. And as I was going along the straight, this thing came out from the right-hand side of me. The only way I can describe it was he walked across the road really calm and leisurely. It was like he didn't even hear me. He didn't even look my way. He just went slowly and calmly across the road in front of me, about 50 to 60 yards in front of me. And then he just went down the, the bankment and into this, this wild, overgrown, brambled woods. And uh, I was absolutely gobsmacked when I seen him, you know, shocked, to be honest. I didn't stop driving. Yeah. But the way I can describe it, he didn't look at me, So, but it was like, I'd say, bigger than an Alsatian, lower down than an Alsatian, longer, like a panther, really. Long tail, big paws, a short, stumpy head, short, stumpy ears, and his head, I'd say, was about level with his shoulders, that sort of a... But he just went down the bank, and the tip of the tail slowly went in, and that was it. And as I drove past, I had a look. And I was excited about it. I drove on and told my friend about it, you know. Mm -hmm. And he says, on that particular road, he says, you could see anything across there. You know, he says, obviously, you'd see pine martins, you'd see stoats, you'd see all kinds of stuff. So I was telling him about this cat. <laughs> and I honestly think he didn't believe me. He, he probably thought it was a stoat. He said it's probably a mink or something. I said, no, no, it's a joke. It's not a mink. This thing is huge. It's a massive cat without a shadow of a doubt, you know. Had there been any other gossip or talk or reports? No, nothing. No, because I was asking him, you see, I was asking, has anybody lost any sheep or any hens or anything around this area? Or have you heard anything? Because obviously this fella has to eat, you know, or whether it's a female or male, I don't know. I couldn't see it. So I didn't get a good enough vision to see if it was male or female. Yeah. So that was it. And since that, I haven't seen or heard tell of it. But then when I came home, of course, I was telling Jess about it. And we started looking online. And lo and behold, there was other sightings. And that's when Jess got onto the Facebook site. And uh, she found out there's been other sightings, you know. And remarkably, it was the same date as the one that, of Lars' sighting in the first week of August, about 100 kilometres south in... I mean, Lars' one near Wexford is about 100 kilometres south, isn't it? So it's got to be a different one. Yeah, oh, it has to be a different one, yeah. It's that distance for sure, yeah. But uh, I never knew that there was anything like that in this country. You know, Maybe somebody 
illegally got one into the country and lost it and is afraid to report it in case they get lynched or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's sort of what La was saying and thinking. Yeah. The other scenario is that there are however many of them, not that many, mm. but enough to breed mm. and naturalise, but you, know, you hardly ever see them because they're so stealthy. Yeah, well, I've told lots of people, and a few of them I know they don't believe it, you know. It's not that they don't say to me, like, that we don't believe you. You can see it in their face, the expression in their face. They think I've seen something else, okay? But I'm 100% sure this is a big cat, without a shadow of a doubt, by its walk, its crawl, its tail. We've had cats here for years, small cats, you know. But it was healthy. It was a healthy, shiny cat. What about the length of the tail? Did you gauge the length of the tail at all? Well, longer than any dog. Oh, definitely a long tail, yeah. Low down, hanging tail, that way to describe it. What about its movement and what it was doing? Do you think it was just travelling from A to B, or was it stalking or looking for rabbits on the verge, or do you think there's any kind of sense of what its behaviour was, or do you think it was just going across the road A to B on its travels? Well, it looked like it was just crossing the road, minding its own business, yeah. As I say, I, was, I must have been about 50 to 60 yards from it as it crossed. And one thing I did surprise, it didn't pay any attention to me at all in the car, okay? Nothing. It didn't even look my way. It just slowly, casually went across the road as if it was in a zoo. You know the way they walk around in a zoo? Yeah. Calmly. It was just like that. And the car that I'm driving is an old diesel. It's an old 240D. Mercedes. It's an old thing. It's 40 years old. And it's noisy enough. So he would have, obviously, he would have thought he were heard or turned his head, but he didn't. That's what I, That's one thing I was surprised about it, you know? It looked happy in his environment as well. It didn't look like he was under any stress or running from anything. He was just crossing the road, you know. He looked like he knew where he was going, yeah, for sure. Did you go online and check the type of cat against what you've seen? Have you looked up, say, black leopards? I don't want to put words in your mouth. I've looked up them and the pumas and all this sort of thing, yeah. And to my mind, it looks it looks more of a leopard type of cat what you know i'm i don't know cats really to be honest i'm not into them do you know they do come in black of course leopard yeah but it was a shiny black it was a healthy shiny black without a shadow of a doubt when you first saw it did you virtually instantly clock it as a cat or did you think oh that must be a funny dog on the loose or a deer or something how long before you clocked it no i could see it was a cat straight away the paws they were you know the way they flip forward and land on the ground sort of thing the paws were big Definitely a cat. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. It's a cat. How would you describe the movement, the locomotion? Well, as I say, I suppose the head was just slightly lower than the shoulder, and he was just lazily flip-flopping across the road. That's all I can say, really, you know. He was just calm. He was calm. He wasn't excited or, no, he was just very calmly and lazily went across the road, yeah. Slow motion, very slow. Had you had a dash cam, would it have picked it up? Were you close enough to get a good good footage? Oh, yeah. I'm, that's why I'm kicking myself. How's it made you and your wife feel about it? Do, do you feel it's okay to have them around, or do you think it's a bit nerve-wracking? Or if somebody was going to go and shoot it, would you want to stop them shooting it? I've done a lot of hunting myself as well over the years, and I've seen some strange things, you know, different animals and things. But, no, I wouldn't actually be worried I said to Jess, you know, I says, you know, sometimes she sits outside here in the nighttime, the lovely starry night in the summer or whatever. I say, would you be nervous lying out there on the swing chair now, you know? She says, well, I'd be wary, she says, you know, and since that she'd been hearing noises and could be a hedgehog or something, but it's in her mind, you know? Yes. 
But um, it, it doesn't really bother me, no. It doesn't really bother me. But I'd be more afraid if other people got to know about it and started hunting them down and shooting them. That's why I was afraid of telling too many people. I've told a good few people, but only ones that have sort of got a, a, bit, of, <laughs> a bit of brain between their ears and won't go after it, you know? Also, if you if you keep the location fairly vague, that's which we tend to on these that's podcasts. It, yeah. yeah, that's a good way of doing it. Because obviously, there yeah, people going after it would be more dangerous than the animal itself in most situations. Well, of course, yeah. But uh, I know cats are very clever. Them type of cats in concealing themselves, you know. But this was about four o'clock. I'd say about four o'clock in the afternoon. It was around about that sort of a time period. Yeah. So not dawn and dusk or night time when they f- tend to favour. That's why you got the shine on the on the coat. I've been down there since. Been down on the motorcycle, bringing the eggs to the front again. I slowed down and looked for tracks and things. There's a couple of tracks going into the wood, but you'd have to get off and go searching, you know. But um, it's been a while ago now since the sighting, so the, the prints I would imagine you wouldn't you wouldn't find them, you know, you know. But uh, maybe he was just passing through. He mightn't be around the area at all. Now I don't know. I do not know. What do you think? There's deer around there. Yes, there would be. It's a deer crossing. There's yeah, there's deer go past there, pine martens. Yeah, well, deer would be their favoured prey, and if it's a deer crossing, then do you get roadkill there? I mean, would you think it could be interesting in scavenging roadkill? We had one reported in Gloucestershire last Friday night, but it was trying to prise away some roadkill from the middle of the road as they approached it. Well, there has been on that stretch. I've seen a badger before, a fox, I think, and maybe a few other things. Fox and badgers. I mean, you see loads of them around here in this part of the country where we live anyway. I mean, foxes at the moment are hugely in abundance, you know, and badgers as well. I mean, they even come around the house here, you know, sometimes you can hear them. You know what it is. Yeah, it would be that sort of an area. Yeah, as my friend said when I was talking to him about it, as I say, he only lives about a mile from this this particular spot in, in this old cottage in the bog, you know. He says he's never seen a cat cross there, but he said he's seen all kinds of different coloured pie martins and uh, what do they call them? Not the ferrets, the black um, minks, loads of them, stoats, all this. There's a little river you see beside, on the right-hand side of this forest, and it leads to an old castle which goes down into another deep wood. So it's a huge, huge wooded area which nobody goes through because a lot of it is just overgrown with brambles and it's a swampy type land. The road kind of steeps down into a swamp, you know? And that's where he was heading. It's full of pheasants and everything. Ducks, you name it, you know. It'd be a good place to put one of these portable camera traps, a trail camera. Well, I was talking about it to a friend of mine, and he says, he says, if you do go looking for tracks and you do find some, he says, I've got some infrared cameras, he says, that you could put up on the trees in the nighttime or if you could find these tracks and see if we can get a bit of footage, you know. He was worried about somebody coming along and taking them. But I says, no, I says, it's, it's right in the absolute middle of nowhere. Nobody goes through it, you know. And if you camouflage it well as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, it'd be easy to do that where this place is, you know. I've never actually got out of the car and actually walked around this area before, you know. But I know it's dense just by just by driving by. If it's a crossing that all the different mammals use, then that's great because, you know, they tend to all use the same places and the camera's got a chance if you stash one away there. So, yeah, if we turn the tables, Dave, and it was you being told by your mate that he'd seen one, would you have believed him, do you think? I don't know because I've never seen anything like that in this country before, you see. I haven't. I wouldn't take him as telling me a lie, but I might take him as maybe he saw something else, you know. 
I mean, you tell anybody that you've seen a leopard or a puma in the countryside, you know, and they, they think you've been down the pub, you know, too long. You know what I mean? Or you're on something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How long do you would you say the sighting was for? Four seconds, four seconds, enough just to cross a, a narrow road, you know. As he went down the bank, he slowed down, and he, you see the tip of the tire just going into the bush. That was it. The closest point, what were you? How close were you as you got close to it? I don't know, 20 yards when I seen the tail of him going, I suppose. Maybe less Maybe less than that, yeah. If I had a dash cam, it would have been absolutely fantastic. would have got him no problem. No problem at all. A dash cam is something I put in, in my modern-day car, like, you know, but in the old vintage thing, I would never think of putting something like that in it, you know. I have a different thought about it now, though, you know. Yeah, yeah. When you heard about other sightings reported, did you feel, well, what did you feel when you heard about other sightings? I felt excited about it, yeah. We were into it. We were looking through all sorts of different sightings. And as I say, just then got onto this Facebook site and started reading about it and all this and found out about yourself having this interest in them or into them and that. You know, I, I didn't think they were around, to be honest. I didn't know they were around in this country. I've heard of them in Scotland and other places. People have sightings of them and that, you know. But over here, no, nothing. Never never heard anybody talking about them even or seeing them, you know. So it's definitely a new excitement, you know. Okay, that, that's good that you put it that positively, uh, especially if they're not causing – obviously, if they're causing issues and problems of people, that's different, isn't it? But if you're not hearing that that's happening. Not hearing anything, no. If there's enough natural game, I think they'll go for the natural game. That's what they, you know, that's what they've evolved to prefer. Well, they would, yeah. But did you feel a sense of relief and confirmation when you heard about the other sightings? You know, it, it, if you're the only person that's done something or seen something, you get a bit sort of concerned that you're the odd one out. Yeah, well, I, it, I tell you, it was interesting, yeah. I was able to tell others then, while well, this fellow, my friend, I was able to say, look, he could look up the site, which we did, and say, look, look at the sightings here. It's all written down on, on the internet there, you know. And then he was kind of, oh, no, yeah, be genie and all this. And then afterwards, it was his daughter. She started getting interested in it and looking it up and showing him stuff as well. So it proves I'm not going completely mad, you know. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, let's hope you do see another one. I think the chances are remote, but um, uh, I'm with the dash cam. Does it make you look out more? Are you sort of on, a, on alert more now as a result? I am when I go down there, I go through wooded areas, yes, for for sure. Oh, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, yeah. On the lookout now, more so, yeah. You would be. You sit up straight, you know. Sit up straight in the car now, you know. <laughs> Pay attention, yeah. Yeah, well, we have a lot of people say that, that they feel better for being more alert. And you see, you notice more things, you feel more alive, yeah. Mm. Do you think there's a chance somebody could have lost it or, as I say, brought it over into the country and lost it and afraid to... Re- report it because it could be illegal or something like that what do you think i think there's a prospect of that and la certainly wondered that that the guy near wexford who saw one the same day as you and la said you know there was a suspicious helicopter going over there fit the fields around them for two or three days that he'd never seen before never seen since and and they were circling low as if they were looking for something so that sounded a bit suspicious I tend to think, Dave, just like the situation in Britain is that these cats have been around for a good while and they've grown up. A long time. And you don't see them. There are not many of them. It's like the chances of seeing an otter, unless you're a fisherman. A British citizen would not really expect mm. to see an otter, yet there's thousands of otters. 
so your chances are low. And when you do see them, people are like you have just said, it's remarkable how confident and at ease they feel. It's confident, it's grown up here, it knows where it's going, as you said. If it, it had just been released and lost, it would be a bit... It'd be scatty. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a bit more bumbling. It wouldn't really be so confident. So I think it's, you know, there's a few of them, enough of them to naturalise. Mm, mm. Yeah, how much food would they need to eat a day, you know? I mean, surely if people with sheep and hens and stuff around about, that they in the night time they would prowl them maybe? I don't know. This is enough in the game plant, you know? A deer a week, basically. An adult sort of roe deer or a yearling deer, they tend to fast, you know, for several days. They have a good gorge of a... They bring a deer down, really gorge it have their fill uh, they may come back mm. for the second half you know three or four days later but if it's scavenged they won't bother because they can just kill another one now if in a native country that mm. deer half a deer carcass left they would probably defend it and protect it and put it up a tree if it's africa or if it's a, a puma in america they'd uh, put pine needles and leaf litter over it to protect it because they need okay, it you know, yeah. because if, if prey if prey is scarce you protect your meal if prey is abundant you just go and kill another yeah. one so but yeah i think they'd mm-hmm. be killing snacking on rabbits and pigeons and pheasants as you said as you implied and a deer a week basically oh my goodness so that's easy isn't it i would presume oh and a cat's eye in that area for sure yeah yeah so the the times i've had to investigate sheep kills that the farmers have felt was suspicious and more like a cat would do than a dog or a fox and foxes can't kill mature sheep anyway no, no. They're absolutely clinical and surgical when it's a sheep kill. Mm. Uh, very different from the raggedy, messy dog you know, kill and attack. But also, the odd few times it's been sheep kills that I've investigated, it's nearly always been that they have not been sprayed or dipped, so there's no chemical smell on them. So the thought right. is that it's the chemical smell of, sh- of dipping and treating sheep that they don't like. Which is quite obvious, really. Yeah. And also, I've had zookeepers and zoo owners tell me that if you feed mutton to to any of these large cats, they don't devour it like they do if you feed them the normal horse meat or chicken. It's like it's sort of second preference. Full of injections and all sorts. Probably spell something off it. Antibiotics and you know what, everything. Yeah, there. exactly. And I think it's probably more fatty. It's not, you know, you compare venison. Venison is a good choice of meat, isn't it, really? And it certainly is, yeah. They'll be eating similar, they'll be tackling and eating. Wild game. Yeah, but similar kinds of deer like ungulate species in their native countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if they got them in Britain and Ireland, then why not? You know, that's what they can do. I think if they were desperate, you know, our pets would probably sometimes be on the menu, but they're not desperate, luckily. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they know where they are about and where the food lies and everything. Yeah, clever, very clever. Great. Well, it's good, really good that you've got this positive, excited attitude, Dave. And uh, uh, thanks very much for your time. Yeah, sure. But I'll tell you what I will be doing for sure. I will be going, I'll be going down Thursday or Friday. I'm going to go down. And I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up and I'm gonna have a good search around that area. Great. And see if I can see any tracks or anything like that. And uh, if I see any footprints, I might even take a photo. But if I do see something like that, it might set up a couple of um, night vision cameras. So we can do that, you know, and see if we can see something. If we can, we could show it to you or whatever, you know. And keep the location vague. Yeah. Oh, quiet. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. There's no there's no problem with that. That's for sure. Yeah. 
you can walk around anywhere in that country. It's like a bogland, so you nobody's going to bother you out there. There's, there's more freedom across land here as opposed to other countries, that sort of way, you know? Well, that's great. Well, I do recommend using the cameras. They're great fun. And it also makes you think detective work about how how a cat would use the land if you've got to set up a camera to try and snap it. Good luck. Well, thanks ever so much for your time, Dave, and, and keep in touch and uh, all the best. Ta-da, then. Bye-bye. For those of you who haven't spotted the nice little connection between our two guests, well, Nick Albert is author of Fresh Eggs and Dog Beds, and, as we heard, Dave, when he had his sighting from his old Mercedes car, was doing an egg delivery round with fresh duck eggs. In fact, an egg connection with big cats is that some of them eat eggs in the wild, despite being strict carnivores. Pumas, for example, are seen eating the giant eggs of rheas in Patagonia in South America. Back to West of Ireland, on the Big Cat Conversations website under episode 61 for this one, we have a photo of the track where Nick Albert asked his dog to pose as a marker on the Black Panther's location and scale when Nick saw it. And also, Nick mentioned his local pine martins. Well, he's kindly provided us with a pine martin photo on his garden feeder. And there is some fresh important news from Ireland because in the Wexford area, where La had his sighting described in episode 57, there has been a new spotting of a black panther just four miles away from La's location. This new sighting has just occurred on 23rd September. The witness is a close contact of La's and apparently she was a sceptic and had her doubts about La's encounter. La himself hasn't been 100% recently, but La, we hope you're up and about soon, and we look forward to news about the trail camera you've set up. Looking ahead, our next episode is the first of two coming up, which will catch up with recent events in Scotland, including key witness reports, mapping of sightings, a stalking incident, and the large cat carcass we now know more about, as will be explained. Also coming up is an episode on the reports across Cheshire and the Wirral in northwest England. Three recent and past witnesses from Cheshire have made contact, so we'll hear from them in the podcast. Now, on timings and dates, over the next few episodes we will often have a three-week interval rather than the usual two weeks. We'll aim for Fridays as usual, and if we don't hear the Friday it will be the weekend immediately after. You should get your usual notifications on your podcast player systems and the episodes are always put up immediately on the Big Cat Conversations website as well. Okay, we're signing off now, so thanks again to our guests, Nick and Dave, and I'm sure we'll return to Ireland in due course. Thank you everyone for listening. Please take care of yourselves and bye for now. Bye for now.